Um, let's go before the Lord and we'll pick it up there at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Father, now as we come before you, Lord, as we have our, your word open on our laps before us, we ask that you would just do that great work that you're so faithful to do, Lord, that you speak to us. Uh, Father, you've preserved your word for us that we might uh, know more of you, that we might grow closer to you, that we might, um, uh, Father, just uh, know more of you and know more of your heart and your way and your will and your working in our lives, Lord. So do that great work that you're so faithful to do by moving in our hearts and our midst this morning by your spirit, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 Corinthians, we've been going through the book here. Um, we've gone over a few things. Again, this is the um, uh, uh, what we would really call a corrective letter. Uh, there were some letters that, that were written in the New Testament that were more general and uh, more encouraging, some of them um, corrective. This was a corrective one, the Paul spent, we said, about 18 months in Corinth. Uh, he came there under very difficult circumstances, as he explained to us earlier as we were going through Corinthians. We talked about that. Uh, you know, he he'd felt pretty down and out, and a lot had happened, and he'd been through so much uh, up to that point as we follow in the book of Acts when we get to about chapter 18 or so, um, as he winds up going into Corinth. Um, and the Lord came to him specifically, as we, we read, and said, you know, hey, Paul, it's okay. Um, you know, don't be afraid. There's many that are mine in the city and, you know, brought him this comfort. Because you could, obviously the Lord came to him because he was feeling just pretty low and pretty down and figuring things were just, you know, getting worse and worse. And he was by himself and he was used to having, you know, a few traveling companions at least with him. Um, so we know about that, but again, he came as response to uh, a letter written to him by one of the members of the Corinthian church. Now remember, again, at this time in the church, you, you had a church in a city, um, which was most of the case. So an area had a church and everybody went to that church, unlike today, where you have multiple churches in a city, although obviously we have a lot more people. But uh, and so again, one of the Chloe wrote this, and there were some problems and some questions answered, and so uh, Paul is addressing the problems and going to answer some of the questions that we get to in the next few chapters here as well. Um, uh, then he talked about some of the corrections of the first ones where, you know, you guys were fighting over, you know, I follow Apollos, I follow Peter, or I follow Paul, or I follow Jesus, and there was all this, we talked about all the problems they had about putting it in man, putting their trust in this person, you know, this guy, maybe thinking you're more spiritual because of this. And, uh, and then we finish up last time with Paul talking about, you know, we have this knowledge and our foundation is built on Jesus. And then, you know, uh, that's our foundation. And he said, now you, you want to build with materials that, are, that are, are, are eternal or lasting. You build your spiritual house, if you would. And the construction materials are uh, vital. And we spent time talking about that last time. And why are they so vital? Well, one of the reasons he said last time was because they're going to be tested before Jesus one day. They're going to be tested as with fire. And Paul listed some building materials that would burn up very quickly in a fire and listed some materials that would survive a fire. And, uh, and you know, he said, so you want to build your life on the things of Christ and not on these 
worldly principles and how people think that don't know the Lord. You don't want to build your life on those things. And then he reminds us also in verse 16, uh, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? So the other reason that we you know, build our lives in Christ is it, uh, because, again, um, who we represent, who dwells in us. Now, certainly, he is addressing the whole church here. So in one sense, you know, he's speaking about the church as a whole, but of course, the application is for individuals as well, because individuals make up the church. But you can see the picture here, because you can think of, okay, the temple, because the temple was in Jerusalem, you know, at this time. So there was a temple in Jerusalem. And, okay, what made the temple the temple? Uh, you know, whether the temple was when it was first built back in Solomon's day, or what temple was surviving in the day that Paul wrote this, again, what made that temple anything was the Spirit of God dwelt there, right? And so you can see the imagery that he's bringing in here. We all know from the Old Testament that what made the temple anything more than a building was because that's where the Spirit of God said he would dwell to meet his people and his people would come to meet him. He, in the Old Covenant, picked one particular place and said, that's where I'll be, that's where I want you to come, and that's where I want you to worship and, uh, and give your offerings and come and, and fellowship before me. And it was, it was so much more, um, you know, it was a, don't think of the temple area and going to the temple as this drudgery, I don't think. Uh, um, although it wasn't easy, certainly, if you live farther away. But there was a lot of, um, it was a very festive atmosphere uh, because they called them feasts. They, they weren't drudgeries. They weren't, uh, you know, they were called feasts by the Lord. Now, one day, obviously, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, was a, was a serious reflective day one of them, and one day of that was very serious and reflective, but of course then the Feast of Tabernacles followed that, which was a great time of outdoor camping with your family for a week, you know, all in and around Jerusalem. And so, you know, there was a great time. There's, in the, the book of Song, in the book of Psalms, there's called the Songs of Ascent, and I think they're in the 90s, 94, 95, 6, 7, or something like that. Um, and these were the songs they would sing as they would go into Jerusalem, the idea of songs of ascent, because Jerusalem was up on a hill, so no matter where you were coming from, you had to go up into Jerusalem, even though Mount of Olives, you went down, but you always had to go up, okay? <laughs> and so, um, uh, you know, there were joyful psalms, if you read them. Uh, for the most part, they were exciting, so it was a great thing, and the idea of the Spirit of the Lord was there, and He met the people, and that's what made the temple the temple. And um, again, uh, that's what he's saying about the people, the church is what makes it the church, what makes us the church as people, as individuals or corporately as a body is that the Spirit of God dwells in us. And we're supposed to think in those terms. So you... Um, uh, there's some very vivid pictures in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, if you read the book of Ezekiel, um, uh, he is in Babylon. He'd been taken on the second... Remember, there was three waves of attacking Jerusalem and three waves of moving people back. Daniel and his friends went in the first one. Ezekiel and some others went in the second one. Most of them went in the second one. And then the third one, there wasn't as many because most of them just died or starved to death. <laughs> 
but there was some that went back. But Ezekiel went in the second one, and, you know, there's always scratching their head. It was like, you know, well, Jeremiah said the good ones went to Babylon, the bad ones stay in, this, in the city, and you're like, well, wait a minute, How, that doesn't make sense. seems like the good ones should be able to stay in their homes, and the bad ones should have to go to Babylon. But the Lord said, no, I'm going to watch over and take care of them because... Um, this is what I'm going to do in Jerusalem. And then he gives Ezekiel this vision of all the sin that's going on in the city. And then the, one of the things he shows him is the Spirit of God. Do you, do you remember when uh, Ezekiel talks about what the Spirit of God looks like, the wheel within the wheel? And, and if you remember all those things, that imagery of, of the Spirit of God moving, he, he shows him that and he shows him, you know, the Spirit of God moving out of the Holy of Holies and kind of moving to the outside of the temple uh, or to the threshold or to the door, if you would, of the, the temple, you know, the porch. And then he moves a little farther outside into the temple courts. And then, you know, you, next thing he sees him moving on top of Mount of Olives. Now he's out of Jerusalem and then it, it's gone. And the idea was the Spirit of God has left the temple. It's just a building now. And, um, you know, telling us that what made it important, what made it significant, what made it anything was the Spirit of God there, not the gold or the jewels or how it was built it was the Spirit of God. And again, he's giving us that imagery and all the imagery we have of the temple in the Bible. What makes the church, you know, uh, that temple of God is because the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit dwells in us. It's just, um, he says, it's just, we need to understand that. Uh, we need to know that. Because, verse 17 if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Now, again, it um, says take this seriously. We know also in the New Testament that Jesus cleansed the temple. There was a bunch of stuff you know, happening in the temple courts, and they were taking advantage of the people and ripping people off and doing all sorts of stuff, making it kind of a marketplace rather than a place to meet God, a number of issues going on. And of course, we know uh, twice that Jesus cleared the temple courts, once in his beginning and once we know in the end. And again, he, he just needed to clear it out, to cleanse it. And, you know, this is not what it's supposed to be. And I can't help but to think that the same thing can be true in our lives as well. You know, at times he just comes in and says, you know, we need to clean this out. We need to get, you know, this stuff out. We need to get rid of this. And <laughs> this has no business being here. And get rid of that. And, you know, comes in and does that kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's pretty serious business. He says it's pretty serious business in verse 17. Uh, you know, pastors don't like to teach verses like verse 17. <laughs> it's not easy to teach on, but it's there. And I, and I like this quote. Uh, it says... Uh, talking about this. So let us beware. The Holy Spirit is very patient with us, but he is not to be trifled with. There comes a time when, after repeated warnings, he pulls down the body temple of the offender. This teaching here regarding the temple is not to be confined to the temple of the believer's body. The truth applies equally to the local church. Persistent defiling of a local gathering of believers by the introduction of false teaching and the acceptance of immoral behavior or the adoption of the world's methods, grieves and hinders the Holy Spirit. These things weaken the church and can lead to the total demise of its testimony. So again, 
very true, you know, serious business. The Holy Spirit is patient with us, but, you know, uh, he, there is times when the Lord just comes in and says, you know, we just need to clean this up. It's just not good. You're, you're, the, the building, the, the, the temple, uh, the body, whether it's an individual or the church corporately, it just, you're, this, these building materials are, are going to cause this, you know, to collapse or this wall to fall or it's going to make it uh, really rough. And, and again, you know, um, have you ever done anything, and I showed some funny building practices last time on a slide, but... But again, you know, you don't put any reinforcement in, in the wall. You don't put the, you know, the, the, in this case, wood studs in the right place. And you don't, you know, you don't structure, make, make something structurally sound. You put poor building materials or you infill it with this or that or something. You know, in any sort of movement or earthquake or something, in our case, it's just going to collapse. You know, uh, the same thing is true, is true with us. And the Lord wants us to build up the temple the Holy Spirit, the body where the Holy Spirit resides, us as believers, or corporately as a church, again, it applies in both directions, with things that are going to last, that are important, that are going to make it a sound building. And, uh, you know, all of us, if you've been a Christian for very long, you know, you put effort into some things that you just got going on, that this or that, and you realize you know, there's just something that I wanted to do it had nothing to do with the Lord, and then you know at some point you see the whole thing kind of just collapse, and you get man, I put so much time and effort and energy and thought or whatever my heart into this, and but it wasn't the Lord, and now it's this big pile of you know collapsed you know whatever, and uh, and and that's the Lord's way of saying you know that just it was all nothing to do with me, it had everything to do with you, and it was never going to stand, you know. It's never going to stand. And if it does limp its way through this life, there's going to be a time where we stand before the Lord, as we talked about last time, where it's going to be tested with fire. and It's going to go anyway. So how much better if the Lord addresses it now? Takes care of it now. So it is serious business. And he goes on in the same way, saying, verse 18, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Now, again, you know, he's addressing the church that, that some think, and maybe a, a, more than a majority of them think that, you know, he, Paul's not so smart. You know, he says these things, he does these things, but we've learned more, we're spiritual mature, we're, we, we know more, you know, we've been around, we've had Apollos come through, we've had Peter come through, we've had others come through, and you know, he's a good guy and all that stuff, but you know, not, not so much, um, you know, not so much him. Compared to everybody else, he's just not some dynamic dynamo and, you know, guy that, we think too much of. Not everyone thought that, but certainly there was a, a good share that did. And he, he addresses that. So if you think you're so smart, again, which is what they did, because they, you know, they were having so many problems in the church, but he's addressing it, you know, it was worldly wisdom. You're basing all your thoughts on how everybody thinks, or how you think, or how you process things. You know, okay, this, I learned this by experience, and I learned this. And I've seen this, and you know I've seen this here, 
Um, and, and if you apply all that worldly wisdom, again, non-godly wisdom, but just how everybody else thinks, then what you need to do is do a 180 and become stupid. <laughs> you know, he's, he's kind of making fun here, right? He's, he's uh, you know, make a little tongue-in-cheek, if you would. So if you think you're so smart, but your, your smarts comes from how everybody else thinks, then you need to do a 180 and become stupid. You know, think of all those great and godly men and women that, who have gone before us and have done great things in life. And, you know, accomplish so much for the Lord. And by many's estimation, certainly those that just don't know the Lord, it seemed foolish, it seemed crazy, it seemed a waste of time, or it seemed not important. I mean, that's what he's thinking about. You know, you, you, you pour, you know, things of the Lord are, are important to you, and you put energy into them. And just think in your own life, how many people think that you know think it's just kind of crazy or it's kind of stupid or it's kind of a, a waste of time at best, right? They look at you and they go, hey, you're reading your Bible? Why are you reading your Bible every day? Or why are you spending time in praying? Are you going to church on su- every Sunday? Do you have to go every Sunday? And then there's a Wednesday and then there's a Bible study you attend or there's your this. Or, I mean, come on. I mean, you're just taking this way too far. And it seems foolish, it seems crazy, or it seems like a waste of time to a lot of people. Boy, just think of all that you could, could be doing um, in life. And, and I, th- you know, I think about that um, you know, as, as believers, as Christians, and for, for, for a lot of us, right? We, um, uh, you know, there's people that every weekend, um, and I, I always thought, this is, I, I'm digressing here, but I'll throw it this way. You know, I always thought it would be great, not that I could ever afford it, but I always thought it'd be great to have like a little cabin in the mountains somewhere, or some little place, you know, um, you know, just like a, a little summer cabin or a little, you know, go weekend cabin or something where you could go in the mountains or somewhere just up somewhere and do that. I thought it'd be good. And I always thought, you know what, but I, I when would I do it? You know, you go up Friday and then you spend Saturday, come on Saturday night, because am I, am I going to go up there and miss church every two or three weeks, right? <laughs> you know, and but there's people, right? Every weekend they have this and this and this and this and this and this and this, and they have all these weekend things because, you know, obviously the things of the Lord don't mean anything. Going to church on a Sunday is just not on the agenda at all. And, uh, you know, once in a while, we, I, you know, I look at those things, oh, it'd be fun to be able to do this. And I think, you know, it's just, to me, you know, missing church is just a big deal. Uh, when I miss it, I, I, I just, no matter if even I'm enjoying myself, um, I just, um, uh, it, it just, you know, when it rolls around, it just feels like there's something missing. Even if it's on a, you know, you're on a great trip or something and it comes around, oh, but I'm, you know, I'm not, for my case at least, you know, I'm not, I'm not actually teaching. And um, again, people think, that's just kind of nuts. It's just kind of crazy. Uh, it seems to be such a waste. Uh, I like this one quote from Jim Elliott, who was this great missionary that most of us know everything about. And this is a very famous saying he always says, but it's just great to be reminded of this. You know, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And I just, 
it's one of those, you know, just an amazing reminders of a guy that, um, you know, just poured everything in his life into the Lord to become a missionary. And again, think of how many people thought he was foolish. And then when he was in danger and he got fever, what, 30 plus times and was, you know, uh, threatened his life so many times and this and that, of course, and eventually died, um, you know, serving the Lord. But people look at us and say, man, you had so much potential or you could do this or why put so much at risk or why put so much time into that? And this was his answer. You know, it's such a great and wonderful thought of all this. And that's what Paul's saying. People are going to not understand that. And then when you, you know, you clean house and you're building this and you're putting importance into things of the Lord and you're, you're building that up and using the materials that the Lord desires to build the temple of God, our lives, if you would, you know, people are going to think it's, it's, it's crazy or it's foolish or a waste of time. Or even in our society, you know, it's, it's in my lifetime at least, we've turned the page on, on this whole thing. Before, you just used to think, you know, you're kind of a religious nut or you're kind of a, a Jesus freak, uh, right? It makes you think of the song every time I think of it too, right? The DC Doc song, right? But, but you, know, you know, we used to, that's what we used to say. But now, we have a society that says what you're doing is not just crazy or foolish or a waste of time, but it's wrong, right? And there's these demeaning voices in our society today, which has never happened, at least in my Christian experience, who would say, well, who are you to force your beliefs on other people? You know, who are you? Let's take down all these people, these great Christian missionaries that gone before us. Were all of them perfect? Were all the people that work for them perfect? Did they do some wrong? Of course they did. There's some wrong stuff. But but just think of all those people. Uh, you know, I know, was it fourth grade we do California missions? And I don't even know if they still do that in school anymore. But uh, fourth grade, California missions, you know, we... And um, I remember my parents, you know, when it was fourth grade, we did a California missions trip. We visited all the missions, and we did that a number of times uh, every time we were going up, going up California from Southern California. You know, we'd, we'd do all the... I mean, and, and were some of them... Were there some bad apples? Probably in some of them. But most of them, you think about it, go out to Mission San Antonio. You ever go out there? I've been out there a number of times for work, and they're in the middle of nowhere. I mean, these guys are willing to, you know share the gospel and share their lives with people that live there and to obviously be a way station for those that wanted to continue on and those that just were traveling for whatever reason, you know, they, they, it was a place of ministry. But, you know, uh, fa- uh, was it Father Juan? Uh, how do you say it in Spanish? Because I want to say it in the anglicized way. Uh, you know, junip- Junipero Serra? Junipero Sierra, how do you say Sierra, 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 thank you. I know how we say it in English, but right, you know, oh, take down that guy's statue and blah, oh, you know, he was just, oh, he just killed Indians and he was a mass, I mean, I, I just never heard of things like that, you know, until recently. So not only do we get like your foolish is a waste of time, but then you have this whole new segment, this whole new page is turning in is that what you're doing is not only is not that, it's wrong, it's wrong. It's okay for them to take their thoughts to those people, but it's certainly wrong for you to take your, really, your religious beliefs to them. Well, they want to take all their secular beliefs to them and you know, uh, feed that fire, but, but not us, right? 
And again, that's because this doesn't make sense to the unbeliever. They just don't get it. Uh, you know, it's nothing of value and nothing of importance. And we can't use that kind of wisdom and apply it in our Christian life. That's what he's saying here. I'm full of quotes this morning, but here's one more. <laughs> the world depends on promotion, prestige, and the influence of money and important people. The church depends on prayer, the power of the Spirit, humility, sacrifice, and service. The church that imitates the world may seem to succeed in time, but it will in turn it will turn, I'm sorry, to ashes in eternity. So again, the whole point is that, yes, um, you know, again, you're applying all this worldly wisdom and what everybody else thinks and how everybody processes these things and what everybody else thinks you should do. And that kind of wisdom in the church is, is incongruent. You know, it's the equal sign with a line through it. It just it doesn't equal, right? It's just not the same. It's completely different. And that's the thinking that we need to turn into. We need to uh, turn to. We need to understand that if everybody's thinking that way, that should cause a red flag. Well, wait a minute. Everybody's agreeing. With people that don't know the Lord think that's the great move. Wait a minute. <laughs> this, this isn't uh, adding up here. This isn't right. And again, um, those spreading the gospel, those that you know spend time sharing the good news, those that go out, you know, uh, uh, you know, on missions today and, um, you know, going out and serving the Lord, whether overseas or here, we do it in our life, you know, is not considered valuable or important at all in the world. And, and these guys in the book of Acts, this, these guys are reading about Paul here, you know, they had nothing and yet they turned the whole world you know, uh, the Roman world, the known Roman world at that time, arguably, and, and further on than that with, with church history, um, to the gospel. But we don't need to have all those things. People think, well, we need to have this, we need to have this, we need to get this. And Well, that's what the world thinks. You need to have all these things and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, and then you can move forward. And, and you know, back in the book of Acts, it wasn't any of that. You simply needed a willing person one full of the Holy Spirit and desire to do God's will, and great things were done. You didn't need resources, you didn't need education, you didn't need uh, this or that or the, whatever, you know, blah, blah, blah. go for it. And, and it still happens today. You know, our, our world is just built up so much around that, and we need to be careful of that. You know, again, God has evaluated the wisdom of this world, and He considers it foolishness, craftiness, and futile. Just remember that. And the que big question is, do we agree with God's evaluation or not? Or do we think we know better? That's a question we need to ask ourselves. Do we, do we just think we know better than God? Oh, I, I got it figured out. It's okay. I got it handled. I know how to do this. I got this. You know, what's, what's our attitude towards that? You know, do we go with the flow of the way everybody's thinking and the way everything should be done and this and that? Or do we trust in the Holy Spirit living in us? Um, again, uh, we need to remember this. We need to remember that God considers the worldly wisdom foolishness and futile. And then he gives us a couple of quotes from, from the Old Testament here, and he says this, For it is written, He catches the wise in their own craftiness, 
And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. Now, verse 19, by the way, for just your... <laughs> it was the only verse of, uh, in the book of Job quoted in the New Testament, which is right there. And that's when, uh, uh, I think it's in chapter 5, when Eliaphaz is talking to Job about, you know, uh, that, boy, Job, you must be a really bad sinner because all these bad things are happened to you. Uh, and so, you know, Job vigorously denies that, of course, but that was the worldly wisdom that he's speaking about. You know, it looked like, well, bad things are happening, and the thought with those three friends was that, you know, because bad things are happening, you must really be sinning, which we know wasn't the case. And so, you know, he is using that here as one of them, and the other one in verse 20 is from the... It's quoted actually a couple times pretty closely in, in the book of Song book of Psalms again, pointing to how far off the wisdom uh, of a person is. Just how far off, you know, their wisdom is. And, you know, wisdom of people, the wisdom of this world is just futile. It's going to come to nothing. And if we depend on that, if we build that into our spiritual house, it's just never going to stand. It's going to collapse. And so stay away from that. We we need to um, move away from that. Now, of course, he's talking about in their case, boasting of people. Verse uh, 21 says, Therefore, let no one boast in men, because that's what they were doing. Remember, going back a few weeks, they were talking about this and that, that worldly kind of wisdom applied in the church to people, thinking they're more spiritual because they you know, like this guy and follow this guy's teaching and go this place. And again, it still has some truth and still has some is very alive and well in our society today, sadly, in the church. And again, it just goes to point out how prone we are to glory in men. We get more excited about the influential and the famous of this world than being with God. And again, just think of it this way. Uh, you, know, you know how crazy some people get? Oh, I saw this person and I got this autograph and these people are chasing around the, the rich and famous or the you know, musicians or the athletes or this or that, or I went to this game, I went to this concert, went to this show, and you know how people can be. They just start lifting these people up, thinking how great and wonderful they are. And and yes, some of them have some great talent in all this, but, you know, it, you see, we just we can't do that. That's, there's no place for that in the church. And, and again, we what gifts... And, you know, if you find someone that's greatly gifted in the church, whether musically or teaching the word or, you know, has some great insight or used in this way as a, some sort of evangelist or some sort of great missionary that can, you know, connect to uh, other, other people of other societies or something, they're, 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 they're gifts given by God that brings honor to God and never to the person. And we need to remember that as well. And, and when... Uh, you know, we'll go on and we'll, we'll talk about that later on in chapter 4. Is, you know, Paul will say, what, what, do you, what do you have been given that, what do you have that hasn't been given to you? And if it's been given to you, how can you think, wow, look how special I am? I'm getting ahead of ourselves here. But and again, we have, to, we have to remember that as well. And they were, that, that's another worldly wisdom. That's another worldly way of doing things. You know, let no glory be in, in a person because what we have in the church, no matter what it's given, it's just it's given to him, uh, it's given to that person by 
a gift of God. And so we honor God for it and not the person that obviously is using that gift. But because he, he, then he goes now, he reminds us what we have. L- look at the end of verse 21. I think, you know, there's one of those underlinable or highlightable or however you like to mark up your Bible. It says, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the word of lo- uh, or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ, and Christ is God's. So you, you don't run after those worldly things, going those worldly wisdom, thinking those worldly ways, and doing all this stuff. You know, and, and, and charging after, after that kind of thinking and everything, you need to change your thinking. Because just remember what's yours in Christ. You know, again, uh, all things are yours. And he goes on, whether Paul, Paul, Cephas gives, gives, give all the, gives us these examples. Let me just put it maybe in today's way of thinking about it. There are some great Bible teachers out there, uh, and, and I know you guys, and you know me, and we just know, man, there's just some great, gifted Bible teachers that we love listening to, and they represent many denominations, and some of them are non-denominational, um, and we can be blessed by all of them, and we should be blessed by all of them, and, and because the Father has given them to us for our benefit, let's use them. There's just great things. There's so much great, you know, uh, and I'm just picking one thing. There's great, wonderful music that's given to us, too. Let's put it that way. Godly Christian music. There's, uh, you know, godly, you know, solid, you know. I still love listening to Chuck Swindoll. He's got to be like 95 by now. I don't know how old he is. But I I was thinking about him yesterday because um, we were watching this YouTube thing uh ethan likes to watch and we were watching uh dude perfect it's a youtube channel and these guys do kind of trick shots and funny stuff and and uh one of the things they were talking about they were at frisco texas where um they were at some fair and it made me think about that's where chuck swindoll is at his church is now in frisco texas anyway uh and i think man he has great bible teachers and there and you could think of them in What's his face in Atlanta, and what's his face up in Cleveland, and what's his name over in wherever, you know, you know, yeah, all those guys, you know what I'm talking about, or, you know, people in California, people, there's just so much is given to us, we're blessed by all of them, you know, let's use them all, just remember what's been given to us, we, we you know, we don't have to go out and use all our own wisdom, we've been given so much, just remember that, he's given it to us for our benefit, everything is ours too, all are yours. The world, life, death, things present, and things to come. How rich we are in Christ. So if all things belong to all believers, then why should there be competition or any kind of rivalry? It, shouldn't, it just shouldn't happen. You know, it just it shouldn't be there. Get your eyes off of men. Keep your eyes on Christ. Work with Him. Build the church. Use what gifts and abilities He's given us. We don't have to apply to any of these wisdom from the outside. We don't have to, oh, well, this is a slick marketing thing. This is how we get people to, to give more or to stay in church long or connect in this way or do all this. kind. We don't have to depend on any of that stuff. We have the Holy Spirit. 
Everything is ours. Everything is ours. And he gives us a, a wide variety and a broad depth and many wonderful things that's all ours. Even death is ours. Now, you know, again, you read that and you think death is ours? It's our servant. It's not our master. <laughs> um, I, I was reading this morning about good old Elon Musk. And I kind of like the guy just from what I read. I don't know the guy from anybody else, but some of the stuff I read, you know, some of it's out there. But it kind of general, I, I, I kind of like the guy more than I like any of the other guys that I've ever read about that had that kind of money. Um, but again, I don't really know the guy and I only read what I read. So you have to put that big caveat there. But you know, I, it was, it was kind of sad this morning because I was just reading about him. He did an interview in, right up here in Fremont at the Tesla factory. And he was just talking about how lonely he is or how lonely he can get. He goes, especially when my dog is not in my little house. <laughs> I was thinking, I thought, here's a guy with $260 billion or what he's valued at, right? And, you know, it's just, you know, when he's, the only time he feels not lonely is when he's got his dog in his little house. That, that's, a, that's a quote from him, by the way. Uh, you know, and I, I felt so sorry for the guy. Here's the guy that's got great intelligence, no question about it. Great business savvy, no question about it, being the richest guy in the world. And can do, and, and all this, and yet, with everything that he has, that people hold up in high esteem as being anything and everything important and, and, and everything in, and to obtain and try to move towards. And he, he's lonely and it's sad. It kind of breaks your heart. You think, man, you know, you know, he's so insulated, you know, you, you just, Lord, just, you know, use one of his security guys or somebody that has access to him as house cleaner or whatever it is, you know, to, to, you know, to share the gospel with him, give him some hope because it seems so hopeless. And yet here's a guy by every standard is if you obtain what he ha has and obtain what he's done and have the resources he had, you know, you'd be the happiest people on earth, you'd think. It just goes to show you again and again and again how false and how untrue all that is. But we have been given everything. Even death is ours as our servant. It's our doorway into eternity. It's not something, you know, people just, you know, oh man, I'm getting closer and closer. And, and you know, we don't like it. I don't like it. Let's put it this way. Turn in 60. It's just like been a kind of a bigger thing to me than I ever thought it would be because I never really worried about my age or thought about my age. It's just birthday. It was just no big deal. But for some reason, 60 just kind of hit me. I felt like, okay, that's old. <laughs> and it is old. And, you know, you have far fewer years ahead of you than you had behind you, far fewer, uh, you know. And, uh, you know, even though some people say 50 or 60, you're middle-aged, uh, no, not unless you're going to live to 100 or 120, <laughs> right? Um, and, and, and again, you start thinking about that and, and, you know, okay, there's the aches and pains and the things you can't do and you don't feel like doing. And, uh, Thomas, I, I always think about you too, because you always saying, yeah, I just don't want to do those side jobs anymore. I feel the same way. I just don't want to do that anymore. You know, even working on the cars, like changing the oil, I just don't even want to change the oil any. I mean, that's like the no brainer, but I just don't want to crawl into the car anymore. Well, I just feel like it's just, I just don't want to do it. Right. And, you know, so we, you know, we kind of look down on death a little bit because, you know, our body is slowly going to that wasting away point. But 
it's, it's our servant, it's not our master. People just do everything they can to have longevity, and isn't Michael Jackson's head frozen somewhere or something like that? So, it, you know, he can be reanimated or his body or something. You know, people do all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, again, we don't have to think that way. Uh, again, what more can be said than this? We have total and absolute, you know, an eternal security. We belong to Christ, and He belongs to God. I mean, just, just think of what we have. It's just an amazing thing that we have. And we need to rejoice in that. And we don't need to look in to fill it in with other kinds of wisdom or what people think or things of the world and, and backfill it in with this and give us this and do all that. No. Uh, you, you know, God has blessed us with so much. Again, all for all things are yours. God has given us so much to equip us and to encourage us and to help us to build our our Christian lives individually and corporately in Him. All that we need to build this great building of of eternal materials, if you would. Uh, We don't need to invite any of this other stuff in here. And yes, we're going to get all the naysayers and all those, and there's always going to be somebody... Sadly, in the church, that's going to want to apply this kind of wisdom and apply that kind of thing, and and you know try to divide you a little bit and say, oh, you, if you're not going here, you're you're you know you're nothing, you're nobody, you're it's you're you're missing out so much and all this kind of stuff. And again, here we're told everything is ours, everything is ours. So enjoy it all, be blessed by it all. You, you know, uh, Thomas. We came over this morning. There was this one song that he he liked that I I frankly I haven't never heard before. And we put it up there, and wow! Look, a song, how old is that song? 10, 20 years old? Yeah, twenty years old or something like that. And we were just we were just listening to it, and you know what a, what a great blessing! All things are ours. You know what Jim Elliot said? Man, now 150, 60, 70 years ago. Now I'm trying to think exactly. Yeah, about that time. Uh, you know, ago, it's a blessing to us. People that have gone on before us have gone home, and, and, and those that are here currently, it's all for us. We just, everything that He's given us to build and encourage us and to be the people and to be the church that He wants us to, to have. Uh, you know, present things and, of course, the things that are to come. And so, again, we keep our eyes on Jesus, we keep our heart on Him. And today we end our lesson here. <laughs> I was going to go into chapter four, but this seems like a good, a good, uh, good place to leave it because he goes on to talk about the description of minister next time, and we'll look at that. I think it's a good thing to look at together. So, well, let's go before the Lord, and we'll we'll end there. Father, we do uh, thank you for this time that we look into your Word, Lord, and. Remember these things, that uh, we are your building. And yes, it's individual, and yes, the church is not just a building, it's made up of the people, and so, you know, our lives combine together, uh, you know, in in a particular location, or a particular building, uh, are the church. But, and Lord, it's important that we all are together on this. There's this important unity that you constantly stress throughout your word, um, that if each one of us does this, then it makes the whole church strong. And, and it, it makes the whole church a brighter light, and it makes the church um, 
again, shine to the world and to those that need to hear the, the good news of the gospel and what Jesus has done for them and the price that he paid for their sins on the cross and the love that he has for them and the, the lengths he was willing to go to and the Father was in sending him because of their love for people. And as we build our houses and, and on the foundation of Jesus and then construct uh, all that's on top of that with who you are and your word and your leading and your ways and your giftings and your talents and, and, and following all of your wisdom, Lord, then it's just, it's just a blessing to the world. And of course, we've all seen what's happened in our lives and in the lives of others that haven't done that. And it all kind of comes down like a, a house of cards because uh, there was just so much being built on things that weren't of you. And of course, you, you give us this important warning and reminder that you dwell in us and we need to remember that. And uh, it's important that we, that we heed that. And at times we just need you to clean out uh, the things of our lives that are just getting in the way or, or just going to eventually collapse and you come in and remind us of those things. And so uh, and, and have us you know, put them away and... Uh, and build with, with what you have for us. So help us to be those people, Lord, that receive that, Lord. Help us to be those people that can shine brightly and are used greatly and are just reminded that all things are us. You, all things are given to us. You've given us just everything we need and bless us with so much. And we don't have to, you know, uh, say, well, this or that or whatever. We can just enjoy it all. Enjoy all the blessings you have for us. And help us to be those people, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.